Welcome to the FML webcast. My name is Vicky Denton and I'm your host. Our guest today is Anne Gail Marin. Anne is the R&D Director of Vario One. She's based in Paris, France, and we're very glad to have her on our show today. Welcome to FNL Webcast, Anne. Thank you, Vicky. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for uh, thinking about a French woman for this uh, podcast. Tell us what you do at Vario One and um, give us a little bit of background about yourself. Sure. So for very one and the director of R&D, um, we are working uh, in the mostly diesel fuels and additives. I've been hired um, seven years ago, first as a product manager, because we needed to expand our portfolio. That was my first goal. And then I moved on to this R&D position, uh, which is a bit larger, where we uh, work on applications for our work. Uh, we are working on understanding more uh, how our products are working in a combustion chamber because we're, again, working with fuels, so we have to understand combustion chamber. And uh, my team is... Um, um, mostly externalized. Uh, we belong to a bigger company that has to do other stuff than we do. We're definitely a worldwide company uh, for uh, for additives, diesel additives. Uh, when I came in the company, they were mostly making uh, one big Cetane Improver product. Cetane Improver is something to help ignition of diesel. It's a compression diesel in nice in the under compression as you most likely know and um this additive it's helping uh, 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 the diesel to ignite better it's been ongoing for 40 years and when i came in it was the main product um we didn't even know how it worked we just know it worked um, however because it had been ongoing for many years we didn't know if it would stay forever if we needed to uh, diversify to find something else to uh, so that's how it was seven years ago since then with my team we've grown so much have grown so much personally because I've learned so much too but um, we've learned how it works we know how to make it different we know how this tiny molecule is actually a rock star chemically. Um, I love chemistry. I love complicated chemistry. I'm coming from a heterogeneous catalysis background, from exosystem background. And um, when I saw this molecule that was so simple um, and I had been given the goal to make it different, to improve, to have new products. Uh, and I was like, piece of cake. This is such a simple molecule we can make better. And we done, we've done much more complicated. Uh, and at the end, this molecule is great. So it's not going to be replaced very fast. However, we grew our portfolio uh, over the last years to, uh, to, uh, to have other additives and to, uh, to be able to not only rely on one single molecule, even if we make a lot of it and we distribute it everywhere in the world and that we are the leader for Citadel Improver, even if we're... French and producing out of south of France, delivering everywhere. This is a very uh, specialized field because a lot of companies actually produce more than one type of additive. Mm. But but I guess very one is very specialized in the sense that you're focused on one specific fuel additive. 
Yeah, we are very specialized and this is why I was hired. We were trying to diversify. Yeah, and today, how is the diesel market globally? I think everyone is wondering about that. I've been asked a lot about that. Uh, obviously, from Europe standpoint, you can feel that uh, uh, diesel is going to decline. Uh, but there is a lot. Light duty, uh, light duty applications. So passenger cars, diesel, they're going to be gone, which is sad because they were perfect cars. But heavy duty is not going to disappear. The solutions that the, that we are trying to find for long haul, heavy haul, uh, are not good enough. Diesel is a beautiful source of energy. And the way uh, the engines have been designed to use it uh, is not perfect, obviously, but for now it's still the best. So is it going to be replaced slowly but surely by renewable diesel? Is it going to be replaced by other fuels such as hydrogen? Is it going to be replaced by electricity? Mostly some part of uh, heavy-duty application will be um but diesel will not disappear like that and it's not going to be disappear by 2035 in Europe that's clear uh and then there's Asia then there's the Americas um and these parts of the world they are not ready to to change yet so we believe that for the next 10 years there's not going to be a reduction of use of, of or production of diesel maybe after that there's going to be a decline um, because there's going to be some ways to replace it i mean we're resilient we will find ways to replace heavy hole heavy hole applications for example but for now hydrogen or, or fuel cells are not ready electrical uh, batteries or full electrical is not ready uh, biomass, uh, gas, in my opinion, in terms of carbon footprint, not perfect. And then the quantity available to replace diesel is not ready. So do we need to find a way to uh, stop using fossil fuels uh, because it's going to be uh, ending at some point? Uh, yes. Um, but is there a perfect solution to replace diesel? For now, no. And most likely it's going to be replaced by different solutions, not just one simple one. Now, um, in the United States, there's been a lot of progress being made in uh, increasing the capacity or the production output of renewable diesel. Yeah, true. Um, they are considered drop-in fuel, aren't they? They are considered a dropping, uh, considered a dropping fuel. Uh, they have, um, I'm part of the CRC group, um, uh, in the U.S. and we're actually having a working group right now on renewable and biodiesel. Um, they have some caveat. Um, you have lubricity issues, for example, or things like that. Um, it's a beautiful renewable uh, diesel. It's a beautiful fuel. Uh, don't get me wrong. It's, however, a synthetic fuel, so it's going to be a lot more expensive than diesel. That's clear. Uh, it's um, the problem is going to be the availability of the feedstock. Uh, you're going to have competition between um, SAF, like the the, the um, uh, kerosene air, airplane fuels. Uh, they're going to need to be replaced as well. For now, there's no other solution than synthetic fuels with the same feedstock as renewable diesel. Uh, so 
there's going to be a competition <laughs> for these feedstocks, which are going to be vegetable oils like um, um, soy or uh, rapeseed or palm. Um, but it's a finite quantity. So as beautiful as it is, <laughs> most likely the feedstock is going to be going to SAF. It's going to be to aviation fuel. Um, because there's absolutely no other solution for kerosene replacement right now. Yeah, and, and I guess a lot of uh, what I see at this in the in the announcements being made is refiners are really when they make an announcement for renewable diesel, um, the refinery is being configured also to produce uh, sustainable aviation fuel. Yes. Yeah. So, so definitely, it's the same. It's the same thing in any refinery where yeah. Yeah. you know you you can produce SAF or you can produce renewable diesel or you can yeah. produce renewable gasoline. Yeah. So, yeah. Absolutely. It's a, it's a matter, I guess, of demand, supply, and pricing. Absolutely. And and I was reading, actually, as I was waiting uh, uh, yesterday, I was reading an article about the availability of feedstock. And there's going to be, by 2030, is going to be already very complicated to find the right feedstock for all the renewable fuels that we want to, to move forward toward the 2050 goals. So we, we believe, I mean, Again, renewable diesel is a beautiful, uh, it's a beautiful uh, chemical <laughs> species too. I mean, the way it's done, though, it's completely different from using a fossil oil and being distillating and separating in different fractions. It's actually synthesis. So it's more expensive. It's a it's different process. So the, uh, the refiners have to change their plants. It's not just uh, having a different feed. It's really a different process. Um, so the whole world is changing. It's very exciting, I believe, uh, as a chemist at least. Yeah. So basically, I guess one question uh, is the output, the the renewable diesel. Would how much variation would it be depending on feedstock? For example, there's been a project in the EU uh, that that I think the first phase was completed. Uh, between uh, the Energy Institute and Konkawe. Konkawe mm -hmm. is the group of refiners in mm -hmm. the EU looking at waste streams. Uh, mm -hmm. how, how different, for example, would renewable diesel be from waste stream versus from biomass? Would they essentially be entirely different or, or just some minor differences? There's going to be, I mean, from... The start as a raw material, they're going to be slightly different. They're going to be, for example, more dirty if you're going from waste stream. So you're going to have to clean it up before it goes into the process of being transformed into mostly paraffinic, a branch paraffinic species. At the end, it's going to be pretty much the same. But from the beginning, you're going to have to have different processes to clean it up and then to break it down to what you want at the end. So when you take oils, uh, from different feedstock, for example, from rapeseed or from soy, you have a different distribution of fatty acids. And then again, in the process, you're breaking them down to make it something very similar at the end. But during the process, though, you're going to have to break them down in different ways. So 
the waste oil that is being used uh, these days, it's, it, it really needs to be cleaned up. It's not called waste <laughs> by chance. It's, it's, I mean, you're, it's, it has been used and you have to filter it. You have to, to remove everything that cannot be used in the production of the renewable oil. So again, it's, it's expensive. It's a process. I mean, they know how to do it. Um, perfectly, I believe, uh, but it's still very different from uh, from from using fossil fuels, fossil oil. And how do you see the differences in in the feedstock affecting basically your business? So you have one particular product, you have more now. Uh, um, maybe we can talk about the other products after this. Um, would you essentially be selling a different cetane improver because it's a different feedstock and a different... Uh, I believe that the usage of uh, uh, renewable diesel... Um, well, two things. First, renewable diesel has a natural cetane that is much higher than natural uh, diesel. So sometimes uh, as, as a fuel, as a dropping fuel, uh, if you look at regulations, you're not going to need sitting improver and renewable diesel uh, because the cetane is going to be higher than the regulations, period. Now, is renewable diesel in need of additives? Maybe. Why do I say that? Um, we've seen some studies where uh, um, in legacy engines, renewable diesel is doing fine as a drop-in. In the new engines that have um, very tight calibration uh, and, and closed loop and EGR, et cetera, uh, maybe renewable is actually not as good as we expected it to be, at least in terms of, of engine out um, pollutants like NOx, et cetera. So in that case, it may need, like, like diesel actually, something that would help stabilize the combustion. And in that case, it would require a sit and improver. The sit and improver we've demonstrated over the last years that it's not just here to help ignition, it's really here to help a full combustion event. Uh, it's starting a process of stabilizing the combustion and, and, and propagating the flame that uh, is going to be helping in a diesel or in a renewable diesel. This is something that we are, we are actually working on to demonstrate right now. Uh, if you look at regulations only and you just want to reach some cetane number, you are not going to need a, a cetane improver when you use renewable diesel. If you look at other issues like stabilizing an EGR system because you uh, you need to uh, to have the lower NOx emission, then uh, yes, you are going to need a CTN improver. In so EGR and was uh, introduced in in Euro four or Euro five. Uh, I think I uh, more. I mean, it would depend on the OM, but I think you would start to see EGR already for Euro four in some applications. And then, and then now we have Euro six, but but very soon Euro seven even we're gonna we're gonna have Euro seven. So yeah. so how would that progression be in terms of requirements for fuels? Or I think fuels? it's something that would actually that many uh, regulators will start will need to start discussing. Uh, if you think of how tight the regulation are becoming at the exhaust, uh, 
you're going to think to make it tighter at the entrance of the of the engine um i mean if 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 fuel makers hear me they're going to hate me right now but the fact is um you cannot ask um an engine manufacturers to find solution to be so tight and to control their combustion so tightly uh, that at the exhaust and then the exhaust system is going to be there that you have almost no emissions at the end. You're going to have uh, CO2 emissions, obviously, because it's oxidation of hydrocarbons, but you have no pollutants left. Uh, if you look at a diesel engine or a gasoline engine, you're not going to have particles, you're not going to have NOx, you're not going to have unburnt HCs, you're not going to have COs. Uh, Euro 7 is going to be looking at uh, N2Os, uh, in the NOx, they're going to start looking at methane. In Europe, they have looked at it in the US before, at least in California before. But so exhaust has to be so tight and so controlled that obviously what you're feeding into the engine is going to be needed to be much more controlled, I believe. And that's, I believe that they should, maybe the regulations on what is entering the engine to change if we want to, to go tighter. Now, we also know that the um, combustion engine is going to eventually die. So do we want to tighten the regulations on fuels before those uh, combustion engines die? I don't know. And, and this is actually one of the points being made by some uh, some. I would say stakeholders, right? Why bother with Euro 7? Yeah, the question has been ongoing. Yes. Um, when is Euro 7 supposed to be finalized? Uh, I think uh, I think you're, uh, you're asking me a question that I may not be able to answer, but I think it's by 2027, maybe. It depends on it's a new engine, if it's a new application or an older application, but I think by 27, it should be there, which is, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be tough and very expensive to, uh, to, to be able to, to deal with this exhaust. I mean, I've, I'm coming from the exhaust treatment world, uh, which, which is very technical and very complicated and complex so but it's also very expensive you rely on catalysts uh, sometimes that would be um, PGM catalysts um, so obviously uh, 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 precious metals are expensive but even if it's not precious metals catalysts such as zeolites they are so complex uh, structure and materials beautiful materials by the way but but they're almost more expensive than the precious metal catalyst. So at the end, um, to clean up the exhaust of a uh, combustive engine uh, is becoming so complex and so so expensive that I'm not even sure people are going to want to purchase this kind of, of applications. That say electrical cars are still very expensive too. So uh, or fuel cells are going to be very expensive too. So, so the scenario is basically, it seems like um, diesel is only going to be around for applications where anything else would not be possible. Yeah, we believe and, so. 
I believe so. Maybe it's personal, but trying to get my own opinion on that. And I believe it's still going to be there for a while, but not in all the applications where it is uh, now. Or I guess the other scenario, and is that um, diesel will be around, but perhaps in different regions of the world, not in yeah. not in Europe. Maybe not in Europe, but you have to think about how you produce diesel for now. I'm not I'm not talking about renewable diesel. When you if you need diesel, you're going to basically produce gasoline as well and kerosene as well. So. If you only need diesel and gasoline is not going to be needed because it's mostly needed in light duty application that by 2035 are not going to be sold anymore in, in Europe, for example. Where is diesel going to come from? I think it's a question that we need to ask ourselves <laughs> and that people kind of forget. People forget that diesel is not being produced alone. Well, that's a very good point. And in fact, it's interesting when you look at the history of refining in Europe, how much, how many refineries have been closed down yeah. in the last 20 years yeah. and how much uh, imported products are actually coming into Europe. Yeah. I don't have the exact numbers at the tip of my fingers. But I they, don't either, but it's, it's already a lot. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, uh, it, 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 companies are no longer investing in refineries in Europe because of the in pending the pending regulations and we don't know what the complete picture will be like uh so most of the investments in refineries have been made in the last 20 years in asia pacific yeah so that that seems to be the market that and yeah, it's a that's a good question i i do i mean uh, we've been trying to follow what's happening in africa uh and for now it's it's hard to see what's happening. Um, I mean, there's a lot of geopolitics being uh, being uh, thrown in in this, the question as well. But the fact is, OEMs in Europe they are moving their combustion uh, combustion engine um, facilities, expertise, benches in northern Africa, uh, and. They are keeping and, and changing their plants and expertise in Europe to, uh, um, toward electricity or electric, electrical mobility, uh, hybrids and fully electricals. So, but everything else, I have friends, I've been working in this industry for many years, uh, their jobs are changing completely. Some of them had to transfer all their expertise to Moroccan plants or Moroccan labs. Uh, uh, so it, it seems that this combustion expertise that Europe would have, whether it's diesel or gasoline, is being transferred to Africa, at least Northern Africa. And uh, will, therefore, will the production of fuels move there too? I mean, they have the capacity, like Algeria, they have a lot of, of oil that they can use and, 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 and change. I mean, they have big companies doing that already. Uh, and 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 transferring to Europe, uh, so maybe maybe it's going to be the solution. Yes, Geo I mean in terms of geographics, it's not so far from Europe. Uh, you have already lots of routes uh, to bring in fuels from from Africa into into Europe. 
But the fact is, and that's something that we were a bit surprised to see, but with COVID, actually, the refinery closure have accelerated in Europe. Uh, you know, we didn't need as much fuels. Their, um, their yield and their, their profit um, dropped tremendously because we were not allowed to move anymore uh, for, for months at the time. And, and so they stopped production. And for some of them, then they decided to never restart them. Uh, so COVID has accelerated that process of transferring the production of fuels from Europe to other places. The, the capacity, like Total has, has again closed the um, uh, plant close to uh, the Parisian area uh, uh, refineries to transfer it to, to, to transfer it to renewables. But the output is going to be so much lower than what it was as a ref as an oil refinery. So, where is this uh, capacity going to go? I agree with you that most likely it could be coming from Africa. Yeah, in Africa. Yeah, and 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 actually, China has put in a lot of capacity too. Um, yeah. You know, it, even I, I guess. Uh, 10 years ago, even as far back as five years ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, obviously, because these are state-owned oil companies, uh, although they do have uh, net zero ambitions, um, they're still expanding <laughs> their, uh, their, their oil refineries. So they're not going away. But, no, they're, they're expanding, but they're using it. They're not uh, exporting it so much. I mean, China is still in expansion right now. So um, the uh, when we look actually at the usage of diesel, uh, we see increase in China in the coming 10 to 20 years because the, the whole uh, business, the, the truck applications are increasing. The transport within China uh, is only increasing for the next 10 to, 10 to 20 years. And for now, Again, trucks are not going to be replaced by fuel by fuel cells or, or electrical trucks. Um, as beautiful as the technology would be, but uh, it's uh, it's not happening. So China needs to increase their capacity because they need it. Now, what, what do you think of hydrogen as a possible replacement for diesel engines? I, I used to be uh, 10 years ago, or even maybe before, I thought fuel cells would actually uh, replace uh, diesel engines, um, gasoline engines as well. Uh, today, I'm less convinced uh, for many reasons. First, I, I studied that a lot. Um, hydrogen is hydrogen. Hydrogen is the most energetical material that exists in the universe. Um, however, it's a very, very tiny molecule. It's the smallest two in the universe. So we need to, um, to have a way to store it and to, to move it around that is going to be tough. Uh, right now, the application that we're seeing with hydrogen have to have um, 350 bars, I believe, uh, uh, tanks to keep it compressed and even like that, it's still a gas. Uh, we are looking into, I mean, the industry, I think, is going to move into 700 bars, uh, containers or, or tanks for, for trucks or for, for cars, for fuel cells, uh, which is going to be hard to handle and, and, and 
and hydrogen has a way to evade because it's tiny, uh, as beautiful as it is. And because it's it's um, very energetic, but because it's so small, it's uh, um, the energetic output that you get for uh, 30 kilos, for example, kgs of, of hydrogen are still much smaller than the energy output that you get from uh, from a full full tank of, of, of diesel. So because of that, I believe less in fuel cell than I used to, um, even if I, I would want for it to work because it's beautiful. Now, I think the industry is working a lot now. I've seen it in the lab I'm working with um, on, on the hydrogen combustion, so direct combustion of hydrogen and not fuel cells anymore where you have a system of batteries and etc. The prime of combustion, I believe, is you're still going to have pollutants from that. <laughs> Uh, because you have combustion, you're still going to have knocks and things that you're going to have to deal with. So first you need to produce hydrogen and you need to produce it green or blue, which is not easy for now. Uh, it's going to require a lot of electricity. <laughs> uh, and then you're going to have to transport it. You're going to have to store it. You're going to have to transfer it into tanks. So it's not going to be easy. I mean, it's done already. Uh, you have uh, hydrogen fueling stations in some, I mean, in California, you have some, you have some in uh, uh, Norway, uh, in Europe. Uh, so you can do it, but it's not going to be easy. And you're still going to need to produce it. For now, it's great. It's being produced from oil. Yes, uh, natural, from natural gas mostly, right? Yeah. Um, so you mentioned that one of the reasons you were hired by Very One seven years ago was to develop other products. Mm -hmm. So, what what other products have you um, have you developed during this time that I assume is, is actually a response to the energy transition? Uh, we have uh, we have basically expanded our um, our diesel additive portfolio to what it would be uh, for another additive maker. So we're able to have lubricity improvers, we are able to have um, uh, antioxidant, we're able to have antistatics. Um, so this is what we have expanded to. Uh, so it, it was basically, we have a big network of cells in the world. We discussed it as, because you've met some of our, my colleagues in other conferences, but, we are very, again, strangely, we are pretty much everywhere in the world. So our strength is, is our network of customers. So we, we kind of banked on that and went to see our customers with the uh, expansion of a full portfolio of diesel additives. Now, you mentioned lubricity. Um, mm -hmm. when, when actually the world reduced, uh, when I say world, I mean the refining industry were uh, were told by regulators to reduce the sulfur in diesel fuel. One of the results of that was actually less lubricity mm -hmm. uh, in the in the diesel fuel, uh, which caused actually initially problems for diesel engines. Yeah. So so the uh, the need for lubricity add additives came about. But if we go with renewable diesel, and let's just say it's coming from vegetable oil, would there still be a need for a lubricity yeah, additive? It's actually, it's actually one of the needs that renewable diesel has. Uh, renewable diesel, even if it's coming from vegetable oil, again, it's broken into smaller molecule, branch molecule, paraffinic molecule. 
you have no um, uh, no aromatics left in there, uh, which is making it so beautiful, by the way. But it has it's it's almost like you can you can you can think about it as a solvent, as an organic solvent in a way, and it has actually low uh, lubricity, so it it, it requires uh, help on lubricity if you don't want to break your engine. Yeah, one of the other things that, on that. Yeah, one of the other things I was wondering is how much of diesel fuel being sold today is actually additized. We believe that it's most of the fuel that is being additized uh, for many reasons, actually. So first, you have different qualities of fuel, right? You have what we call premium premium fuels, even for diesel and 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 more standard. To uh, you could think that the standard one would not be uh, with additive. Most of them have additive, even the standard one, not the premium one. So they have additive like Citane Improver. I mean, not all of them have Citane Improver, but believe me, I know my business. Uh, uh, most of them have Citane Improver, even in low Citane regulated uh, countries like like the US. Uh, so they have citane improver, they have um, anti-static uh, for um, safety reason. Uh, they have lubricity improvers, uh, not all of them, but uh, many of them. Now, if you use biodiesel, not renewable diesel, biodiesel, so the, 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 the FEM one, the, the fatty acid methyl esters one, uh, so they have oxygen in there and they have a much better lubricity than renewable diesel or diesel or standard diesel, um, desulfurized diesel, I would say. So uh, if you have some percentage of biodiesel in there, you need less lubricity improver additive. Um, the biodiesel, uh, like in Europe, it's 7%. Or in France, if, if refiners sell diesel without 7% of biodiesel, they are against the law and they have to pay an extra tax. So basically they have 7% of biodiesel in there. So if you have biodiesel, you, you need a bit less of lubricity improvement because it is biodiesel is, is closer to, uh, to, the, to the vegetable oil than, uh, than, than renewable diesel. Renewable diesel is coming feedstock, but at the end it's totally different animal. Uh, beautiful animal, but different animal. <laughs> Now, now, actually, talking about biodiesel, that's also kind of a, I would say, in Europe, um, because of the issue of land use, uh, has become a very sensitive subject, yes. right? Yes. And, and there are talks that maybe, um, you know, the the renewable energy directive in Europe should be repealed or revised so that. Um, ethanol yeah. or biodiesel should not be a requirement anymore to be blended into gasoline and diesel fuel. Yeah, I think it's the, some of the problems that uh, Europe is meeting uh, right now is the, the land use. I mean, even, I mean, they had thought about it. This is why there, there was a limit in a way of usage of biodiesel up to 10% max. Um, when you compare it to California, where they're going, in, they went, they went straight for twenty percent. Now they are balancing it with renewable diesel, but but uh, the land usage was already uh, entered in the equation in Europe, and this is why they they, they limited the quantity. But now 
with and that includes ethanol for gasoline as well uh, there is a war happening in Europe as you know and because of that we understand now all the intricacies of our land usage and how we depend on others for 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 even for our fuel but even for our food um so I think it's even accelerating the idea that we have to review our land usage and do we put it into fuel? Do we put it into food? Um, it's a big question that is being uh, looked at. Again, biodiesel is different from renewable diesel or um, it's the same for ethanol, but uh, at the end, it's the same feedstock. So it's the same land. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I guess you could say biodiesel and ethanol are really more like additives because they're blended into yes. fossil fuels. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So, now, I mean, uh, is it going to change? Uh, I think it's a balance. Again, it's renewable and it's something that uh, in terms of uh, carbon intensity and carbon footprint, the, the Europe is being looking at it. Um, but... Um, I'm not sure where they're going to go with that. I think that it's too complex to uh, to make decisions. Uh, do we want to reduce carbon footprints? In that case, we need the renewable, but do we want food at the same time? Yes, we do. Do we want biofuel, uh, bio uh, food, food where you have uh, less output, but also less usage of, of chemicals to grow them or to improve the yield? Uh, this is also what, what uh, uh, Europe is looking at. And this morning I was listening uh, to the French radio. You know, we had a big drought this summer in France because the climate is changing and we are getting warmer. Uh, because we are getting warmer, uh, our access to water is changing completely and it's changing completely for the, ag for the agriculture, for agriculture. And, and people are actually now fighting to get access to water in some areas of France. So they can grow corn, for example, or or, uh, or beets for uh, for ethanol, or or um, um, rapeseed for uh, for uh, biodiesel, and this access to water because it's changing. Uh, again, we are going to have to to favor food versus fuel. Everything um, is changing. Uh, yes. <laughs> so the, it's it's so complex. It's 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 access to land. It's access to uh, to obviously to water. We forget about it, but we used to have a lot of water in our areas of Europe, and obviously uh, we're getting closer to uh, issues that southern of Europe has have been having for years. But we have to deal with it again. People are fighting, like really fighting, uh, with their hands and their tools just to get access to water in France. Never happened before. Never seen that uh, before. Yeah, and I think the other issue that came up with the Russian invasion of Ukraine really is energy security. Yeah. Um, you know the 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 whole world basically. You know we forgot. Uh, all about energy security until February when uh, suddenly uh, access to cheap natural gas in Europe, uh, yeah. you know, were disrupted. Yes. Uh, so you have a lot of uh, political issues in Europe, yeah. much more than any other part of the world right now. 
It's very complex. So I'm, I'm happy I'm not a regulator, to be honest with you. Uh, I'm following it from the side, obviously, because it's my job. And, and, and also it's where my interests lie. It's, it's, I mean, it's a change in the world that is super interesting to be part of. But at the same time, it's so complex. Uh, I don't know how they can regulate uh, with all the parameters uh, in there. Um, they're going to have to make choices. Um, we, you know, we have a, a lot of uh, things ongoing to uh, to measure our carbon footprint uh, in the industry uh, in Europe. It should be everywhere in the world, but we're starting in Europe a lot. Um, and we have a specialist here who's been talking about that. And he's very, uh, this guy is actually very uh, um, concrete about uh, the changes that we need to do. Um, and also how society is going to need to evolve, but also being realistic about how much we want to evolve. I mean, we like our comfort. I'm, I'm, I like my my hot water in the morning for my shower. Um, I like uh, the comfort that my electrical uh, uh, um, heaters are giving me. Um, and I'm French, so we get a lot of our electricity from uh, nuclear electricity, which is, I, I think it's a chance, but I, I'm aware that uh, it has a bad environmental footprint too because of, of the waste, of the nuclear waste that we need to deal with. So I'm not going to give up electricity. I'm not going to give up warm water, um, to be honest. Um, but this guy is saying now the only solution that we see, again, oil is a finite product. At the end, oil and coal, we're not going to find anymore uh, in, in, on our planet. We're going to use all of it. Uh, so we have to find solution to, uh, to, to use less because we need it. Uh, not just for fuels. I mean, oil is everywhere in our world. The chemistry, I mean, organic chemistry is in, in everywhere around us. Plastics, but pharmaceuticals, all this kind of stuff, we're not going to give up. So we need to decline. His whole thing is uh, uh, he, we need to be realistic as a society. We want to avoid, but we will keep our comfort. We want to keep some comfort. Um, but at the same time, we are going to have the only solution is toward economic decline and we're us using less energy us using less matter um and i hate to hear it to be honest again I'm, I'm, i like my comfort so i'm not going i i know as a human being i cannot give it up i see my 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 children they're not going to give up either they love this comfort at the same time we're going to have to find a solution to make it last last and also to make it expand to other parts of the world because right now we have parts of the world that are not getting as comfortable as we are right now we're going to have to find solution the only way i think uh, is going to be like this guy is saying which is some economical decline that we need to accept I think I think one last question and uh, before we end this very interesting conversation is what is the most exciting part of your job? What, what keeps you going every day? Uh, what are the interesting things you're working on right now? For me, the most exciting part of my job is being part of the energetic transformation. Uh, it, it, it came slowly, but it's accelerating. 
uh, as a chemist, as a human being, it's uh, being part of it is super exciting. Uh, we're going to have to find new uh, product for the company to uh, to move into this new world. And we are working very actively on that. We have found uh, very interesting um, leads already, uh, new products and and new fuels. So new combustion. So, so exciting <laughs> uh, to learn about these new things, at least for me. I know I'm a kind of a geek in that matter, but, but uh, being part of that uh, just personally is super exciting too. No, I think it is. Um, I still have about 20 years to work. Um, so I'm going to have to be part of this transformation, whether it's electrical or hydrogen or decarbonated fuels that we are seeing um, for marine applications. Uh, it's uh, That's the most exciting part for me. That's what keeps me uh, uh, going every day, even if sometimes it's a bit tough. Are we close to finding a solution? Or we're just getting started. I think the solution is going to be uh, multiple, uh, but there are solutions because we're really resilient and they're, they're, we're a very smart species. So we're going to find solution to make our species survive. The planet will survive, but our species will survive uh, in different ways. Maybe it will, I mean, most likely it would be in a warmer environment, but even like that, we will find solutions and we will find solutions for our mobility. Uh, there are some coming up, and, and again, we're really smart. We have a lot more calculation power than we had 50 years ago because of our computers, because of just because we were smart as a species again. So I, I, I believe in that, and I'm, I'm really happy to be part of that transformation. I hope I will be. I will continue to be. <laughs> well, Anne, thank you so much for your time and your patience um in getting started uh, we started very slowly today my apologies it's okay but no worries. but it's been great talking to you you're the kind of person i think you can talk to the whole day uh you thank know, you um, so many so many topics very uh you know um i i think over a very well-rounded person thank you so much thank and you. hopefully thank you. hopefully this won't be the last thank you i hope to see you soon too great have a great day. Thank you, you too. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.